We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 157. Our guest today is an American screenwriter, director, and producer. She recently wrote, directed, and edited the modern-day adaptation of Anna Sewell's classic Black Beauty, starring Kate Winslet, Mackenzie Foy, and Ian Glenn in 2019 with a debut on Disney. So naturally, I had tons of questions about what that looked like to work with equestrians and horses within film, but also wanted to see how she connected her passions for film and for horses with this movie, as well as her newest foundation, Wild Beauty. I caught her in between filming days, working on her documentary out west, Wild Beauty, Mustang Spirit of the West, and thought I would chat with her about all things horses in film. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Ashley Avis. Well, I am so excited to hear a lot about your life and kind of how you got to this point. But first, how did you find yourself in the horse world to begin with? I fell in love with, as so many people did in their their childhoods, I fell in love with beautiful books like Black Beauty by Anna Sewell and The Black Stallion, The Island Stallion by Walter Farley. Those books and series like Thoroughbred by Joanna Campbell, I just fell head over heels in love with the world of horses and just the idea of being with a horse and developing that bond with a horse. It just, there's a, a magic and a mysticism to those relationships. And so I started writing when I was about seven years old. Amazing. And then what did that look like for you as you were growing up? So I was born in Chicago and my parents relocated our family to St. Petersburg, Florida when I was about six years old. And that's where the bulk of my childhood was. And I was able to start riding horses in in the area. And I spent a number of summers in Ocala, Florida. And I just, I I competed. I I did, eventually I did country jumper, but it was, I didn't compete at a a super high level, but it was more about for me anyway, falling in love with the world of horses. And that just became my entire childhood. The, my, all of my teenage years were spent with horses. And I thought that in my mind, I wanted to, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a jockey. I wanted to be the first triple crown winning female jockey. I'm almost five, nine now. So that was in the card. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then I, in my mind, I wanted to become an Olympic, you know, an Olympian. And of course, yeah. It, none of that was was my path necessarily, but I, I eventually went to school in New York City and then horses were out of my life for my college years. And then I started building a business and started writing my own screenplays. And eventually I saved up a little bit of money. I worked so many different odd jobs. I was a, I ran a web design company. I did real estate in Manhattan in college. I worked as a journalist and, and I taught couple wedding couples ballroom dance, you know, anything to pay rent in New York. Wow. In New York. Yeah. And so eventually I saved up enough money to move out to Los Angeles where I had started falling in love with the entertainment world and, uh, and writing screenplays. And that's the Mecca, obviously, of our business. Mm-hmm. So I mo- moved out there. And over the years, eventually from small jobs where I wasn't making any money at all, but building a portfolio, eventually I was able to get with my now husband and producing partner. We were able to raise a little bit of money for our first independent feature. And once you get the first one under your belt for our business, it just changes everything. 
And then we were, we were able to do a, a second small budget movie and then a third. And eventually that led to what we just did in studio film in Black Beauty. But that was about 15 years. So eventually, eventually I was brought back to horses and that's changed my life again. It just, it, it, they come back to you in ways that you don't expect. Totally. Yeah. I always feel like kind of once a horse girl, always a horse girl, and it might yeah. look differently than you think and picture, but I, that's, I think just stays with you forever in, in one way or the other. It absolutely does. And it's, it's amazing now as an adult too, for it to come back so full force and for so many serendipitous things to occur with, with Black Beauty as a film. And then wanting to, we eventually for about four years, we had this idea for the foundation we launched last year. They just slowly started building it and then eventually launched it. And yeah, forces have come back into my life full force. It's been so beautiful. Amazing. From when you finish school to then becoming a screenwriter, director, producer, what did that look like for you? And how did you then, like, what was the moment where you pivoted to incorporate the, the horses into those roles? it was a really interesting thing because I, I, w- I ended up getting a scholarship and, and going to school for business. I really wanted to, I wanted to go to NYU and study creative writing or I, for a period of time, I thought I would become a journalist, but I got a scholarship to Manhattan College and my parents very rightly said, look, you're going to come out of this experience. And it's a great college, great small college. You're going to come out of this without any student debt. You're going to mm-hmm. come out of this with, I was able to get out in two years with, uh, with, I double majored in international business and marketing. And during that period of time, that's when I was just was trying to figure out what kind of writer I wanted to become. And as I, I dabbled in journalism a little bit, I realized that wasn't quite it. Mm-hmm. And then I, thought, I started interning at, um, at a production company. At the time, it was called Plum Pictures. And I was shadowing a, a director, an independent director. And I started reading plays and then screenplays. And that it was, it, I, I use this, this comparison often, but screenplays to me are like poetry. You have such a limited amount of space to write something very, very visually evocative and very emotional and very beautiful. And I just loved that style of writing. And I, I didn't realize at the time that I was attracted to the visual nature of it as, as well and what I was seeing in my mind's eye. And so when I saved up the money I did to move to Los Angeles, I mean, I was living in a house with four actresses. I lived mm-hmm. in their kitchen nook on a futon. And it was, yeah. and I eventually. I eventually wrote about my roommates and that was this little spec pilot that I saved up. I did it for $3,000 or something. Wow. Just very, very, very low with, with just working these different odd jobs. And them. and because I couldn't hire a director or producer, I always, from a very young age, I was always starting my own businesses and these little like entrepreneurial things to try to make money. Mm-hmm. And so I figured at the, at the time, that was when I was I was about 22 because I, I just didn't have the funds to bring. I, I figured I would try to do it myself. And that was when I realized I really loved working with actors and I love the writing to actors speech idiosyncrasies. I, I'm constantly rewriting, especially when these actors start becoming their characters. There's such a level of trust when you do a film and you're working with people in every department from your cinematographer or your production designer or costumes, and especially your actors they're specializing in a certain thing, especially with emotions and becoming this character. I love that collaboration, the very collaborative personality on a film set. The best idea wins, no ego, put the ego aside. So uh, that very first little project, I just realized how much I loved 
working with actors and I loved visually translating what I was seeing in my head as I wrote something onto the screen. And I love the technical side as well. I think that came from having this fascination with web design. I actually used to run this little website where you could be a horse and it was, it was all, it was some visuals, but it was back in the early 2000s wow. where you could, you could play a horse character and there were these message boards where two stallions would fight and the moderator would choose who won based on the beauty <laughs> of the writing. I was such a nerd. Oh I used to have all, gosh. yeah, but not to get off track, but it, it just, <laughs> horses have always been part of this, but that, that, that love of some of the technical side eventually parlayed into, I started editing my own work as well. And I, I edited the film Black Beauty for about a year. It was about a year. And it, as, as an editor, as a director, editor, writer, director, editor, you're able to, you know, nobody else has the keys to the studio. And so you can go in there at 2 a.m. if you want to, to do extra work. You can go in on the weekends, which I did for Black Beauty. And so much of what I did when I was younger, I had no idea would translate into the creative flexibility that I now have as a filmmaker. So but the turning point that you asked about that brought me back to horses, it really was Black Beauty. It was almost 15 years of pounding the pavement and working so many different odd jobs and learning so much about the industry and trying and failing and misstepping and having some successes. Eventually, I had enough under my belt where I was getting into bigger rooms. And I, I took a general meeting with a wonderful producer named Jeremy Bolt, who produced Black Beauty. And it's so funny, and I've told Jeremy this story, I write in different genres. I write in, I, I love I love science fiction, I love romance, I love the family space, such a beautiful space to live in. But Jeremy had, I knew him best for the Ransom Naval movies. And that's the one genre I don't really write in. So it was the first meeting in my whole life I walked into where I wasn't quite sure what I was going to pitch. So I just kept an open <laughs> mind. And Jeremy is just this wonderful creative producer, extremely intelligent, very collaborative. And we sat down in his office and he, and he had tea. We had tea. And he said, Ashley, he's, he's English. He said, Ashley, what inspired you to become a filmmaker and this storyteller? And I immediately went to, and I had no idea I was going to bring this up in the meeting. <laughs> I immediately went to, as a filmmaker, I loved Black Stallion, the film done mm. in the 70s. And the, the, the one scene on the beach with Alec and the Black, where uh, it's this emotional, ah, yeah. and there's no dialogue. It's set to score, and it's beautiful mm -hmm. cinematography. And it elicits that, that magic, mystical relationship that you've got between a human and a horse and what can transpire when you, when you build that bond and you build mm -hmm. that trust. And, and I rattled this off for probably five minutes until I finally stopped myself. And, <laughs> and, and, and Jeremy was just smiling and he goes, you know, he goes, you know, Ashley, my partner, Robert and I, we've wanted to remake Black Beauty for about 10 years. No if you way. Know, yep. He said, if you have it, I'll never forget it. He said, if you have a take, let me know. And he said, the only two things, or the, the only two things we know, it was two things. Yes. They wanted to make beauty female for just adding diversity of voices in the time that we're in. And they wanted to modernize the story. And I knew it so well, of course, that I had to take right in the room. I practically jumped out of my chair and I ran home and I put together this 40 page long presentation for them with a story and with visuals. And the movie went very, very quickly. We were from that for our world, you know, you could develop projects for 10, 20 years before they get off the ground or somebody mm -hmm. has interest or you're waiting for the right actor. Black Beauty happened from that first meeting to the release on Disney was three years and a week. It was something like three years wow. and a week, week and a half, lightning fast. 
lightning fast. So it's just meant to be. And that's, that's what brought horses back into my life. That is so incredible. I mean, you talk about that scene and I like always get like teary eyed and goosebumps when I think (laughs) about that. So I think that's so amazing. And how serendipitous of that, that just that they had been thinking about remaking black beauty for like 10 years. I mean, that's so incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it was the right place at the right time for sure. And my dad always says luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm. And I, as a, as a filmmaker, I, I don't think nothing would have prepared me to do a film. We shot that movie so quickly. We, our schedule was six weeks, mm. crazy fast. We ended up, it ended up being more like seven and a half with a couple of half days that I milked out or a hair yeah. and makeup test, test day, you know, I squeezed a few hours in. But I, you know, as a, as a, as a filmmaker or in any, any career, you just, it doesn't happen right away. Your knowledge does not, you don't just, you don't, you're not able to handle something like that mm-hmm. right out of the gate with 50 horses. And so I, I felt like the timing for Black Beauty was exactly where it was supposed to be. From the time that you left his office to create that 40 page pitch, did you already have <laughs> a story like in mind or what was that, what was that process like? So instantly, and I feel like this happens when things are meant to be, or you're working with the right people or just things start aligning in a particular way, that gut feeling that you feel when you know you're on the right track or the right thing is happening. I just, I had ideas right away and that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, you know, any writer gets writer's block, but I was so, I remember leaving his office and going straight to my manager's office and I walked in and I said, this is it. I sat down and, and he kind of, he wasn't quite sure. He kind of, <laughs> kind of said, oh, okay, Ashley. I said, no, this, this is it. This is it. This is it. I can feel it. This is the thing that we need to break out from the, just the independent world, which I love very much. But to get to that next, it's like, it's not even the next step on a ladder. It's a different rooftop to be able to do a film that's, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was, so from the time that I left his office to just, I guess, the the Black Beauty coming to be, it was just, like I said, incredibly fast, very serendipitous. And and I I sent him a pitch in about, it was somewhere between 10 days and two weeks. But it, it wow. just came out. It just came out because it was it was supposed to, I suppose. Yeah. With with a movie that you hold so near and dear to your heart, how did you decide, like in what ways you were going to modernize it and update? And then how did you decide what pieces you wanted to keep as part of your take on the movie? So like so many people, I grew up with Black Beauty. And I think... I was very honored to be able to tell that story. I felt an extreme level of responsibility in retelling that story, especially modernizing it, which I think was really smart. I, I loved the 1994 version of Black Beauty, um, which is very novel in that time period. And I felt like, and Jeremy and, and the other producers agreed, it was too close to try to do a period piece. And I and for introducing horses and those timeless messages that Anna Sewell so beautifully constructed in the novel about empathy and compassion and horses feeling that we can't, that they can feel love and loss and heartbreak and joy and all of these wonderful themes that are so necessary today, especially in trying to get people more excited about the equestrian community or being falling in love with the world of horses, whether you're fortunate enough to have your own horse or you just 
you want to speak up for them. You want to speak up for wild horses. It just, it was, it was very important to me to maintain the authenticity of spirit that Anna Sewell infused in the novel. And so one of the biggest challenges I had actually was trying to figure out the origin story. I was constantly looking for parallels. The river scene where beauty goes over a bridge in the book and she stops because she knows that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. How, to, how to translate that into now? And that became the river scene in beauty where she's racing the river with, with a hiker that's, that's, that's trapped, his leg is trapped in this roaring river. And I actually, that was one of the few original characters I created. The, the gentleman that um, is, is a Mount Zion rescue worker. I called him Terry, which is my dad's middle name. I find meaning in absolutely everything. And, but, but it was really important to maintain the original, some of the original characters, the locations. But the biggest challenge was Beauty's origin story. She was a cab and carriage horse in the late 1800s. We had, we've got cars today. And I was really stumped about that. And so I went back and I do an unbelievable amount of research before. I actually tend to write very quickly but my gestation process is very long. I do a lot of research and I went back to read about Anne Sewell and why she wrote Black Beauty in the first place. And I didn't realize even having loved that novel for so many years that she was crippled as a little girl and she couldn't walk even on a, on a, with a cane for very long periods of time. And she was literally carried by horses and that inspired her very unique understanding and very deep understanding of them. She wrote Black Beauty. Yeah. I didn't know that. And it was so beautiful. Yeah, she was a natural horsewoman for her time. And she didn't set out to write Black Beauty. Her mother was a, was an author, but she didn't set out to write Black Beauty as this sweeping international bestseller that is still relevant today. She wrote it to put it into the hands of grooms and stable boys and people that interacted with horses or owned horses to make them try to understand the plight of the horse and the emotions of the horse. And she changed our our, our perspective on animal and horse and at just the, the empathetic way that we look at, we look at animals now. And she just wanted to illustrate those emotions. And so that's what turned me to the wild horse issue, which I also didn't know about. I felt this enormous sense of guilt as a horse girl and a horse lover and I, that I didn't know what wild horses are going through in our country. And so it's now been it's, it's now been a couple of years since I embarked on this process, but it's amazing to me how few people know that wild horses are being rounded up by helicopter. And I mean, we've filmed roundups. Those are low flying helicopters tra- chasing these horses for miles. Foals are collapsing from, it's just awful mm. and so cruel and antiquated and people just don't know. And, and there's a lot of misinformation that's out there about wild horses overgrazing. And just, I could go on about that. That's a different conversation. But when I came across that issue, I thought this is the perfect parallel to honor why Anasu will wrote Black Beauty. If we could raise an awareness and change something for the horses of our time, I think that that really honors why she wrote Black Beauty in the first place. So that's what we did. That's incredible. And I love your love for research and, you know, doing, doing your research before something, because I mean, I, I feel like that's part of what made Black Beauty such a wonderful film and such a tribute to the original is this, just that you, you can tell you took the time to like truly understand. Thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. I appreciate that. 
I wanted to thank our sponsor today, O3 Animal Health. If you haven't heard about them before, their signature product is Equine Omega Complete. It's a specifically formulated blend that does so much more than simply add weight if needed or produce a shiny hair coat for your horse. These products support healthy cell function in the horse. They cleanse the cell membrane. Every cell in a horse's body is surrounded by fat. Their products provide the healthiest fat possible so that nutrients and waste can get in and out of the cells. O3 Animal Health is used by some of the top horse breeders, trainers, horse owners, vets, and it supplies a complete balance of beneficial fatty acids to provide the perfect fat for proper cell function. If you want to learn more, I had Kathleen Downs, who is a representative over at O3 Animal Health on the podcast. She was episode 122. If you want to go check it out, or you can visit their website at o the number 3 animalhealth.com and if you want to try out any products use the code podcast for $10 off any product thank you so much o3 animal health all right let's get back to the episode from that time to i guess like the whole filming process the 6 7 weeks that were involved before that had you done much filming of horses and what was that experience like kind of with, you know, being a horse lover and being around horses growing up to then having them as part of your work in this way and working with them like that? I love this question so much. <laughs> I had only, I had only gotten to film with the horse once and it was a spec commercial that my husband and I put together. And in the back of my, it was, we wanted to try to, in the commercial world as a director, it's so hard to get hired for things that you haven't done. Mm. So people put, put together, you know, with their little bits, bits of money, they put together spec commercials. So we did this, <laughs> we did this spec commercial for Mercedes Benz. And eventually we actually did do some work for Mercedes years later. Love but we, in, in my mind's eye, I had a herd of pure white horses galloping toward Mercedes on a beach, but our budget allowed for one <laughs> older bay. <laughs> and, we, and it just, it, 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 there are a few shots that are beautiful that have survived to my reel today, but, but it just wasn't, I wasn't able to execute what I had in my uh, mind's eye for that. <laughs> but then, but then years later getting to do black beauty and to, I, I mean, if you're stressed out on set, go hug a horse. I mean, it was just, there was a different level of, of passion for this project and it permeated the whole crew. Mm. Everyone was just in love with the story. They knew that if we were successful in what we were crafting, that we could change a little corner of our world with the messaging within it and that this film can affect people. And I feel like as a, as a storyteller or as a writer, or if you're able to reach a large amount of people with your platform, you have a responsibility with that messaging. And you have no idea what you're going to do to touch people or influence people. And so, but being able to work with, we had over 50 horses on the film. Wow. There were, yeah, because beauty is at different ages. So we had, we filmed mm-hmm. one little, one little, he was actually a cult. They ended up calling him Black Beauty. That was born <laughs> on a, yeah, he was born on a farm in, outside of it. Because we shot mostly in South Africa for the Western U.S. He was born while we were in pre-production. And I get this email, Ashley. There's a cult that was born on some farm somewhere outside of Stellenbosch that looks like Black Beauty. And they took a photo of this. He was only a few hours old. He had a perfect white star and a little back white sock. Mm. He looked like the spitting image of beauty. So we were able to, from a distance on very long lenses, we were able to film him at about and his mother at about 22 hours old. And then we progressed from there. We had, we had a couple of, we had a full that was about three weeks. We had yearlings we had two we 
except for the except for the babies, we worked in twos. There was always a double for the age or or the the task that we needed, whether it was pulling a carriage or or jumping in the gymkhana scene. But it was uh, it was just working with the horses. They were so. It, it's really a credit to our horse team mm-hmm. how well everything went. Safety was tantamount. We made a couple of calls where, if just by way of example, we we had one stunt gelding who has a resume that actors in Hollywood would envy. He's been in Troy. He's been in basically anything mm-hmm. in South Africa with a horse. He's starred in it, and wow. his yeah, this beautiful, beautiful gelding named Indiana, and he wasn't. The main Black Beauties were thoroughbreds. We had four, Rosie, Jenny, Spirit, and Awards. And two of those horses were probably 85% of the movie. But Indiana was the horse where if Mackenzie was doing a stunt, like on the beach, putting up her arms like she would fly, or she was riding bareback, she actually rode bareback on Jenny, the thoroughbred. Mm. Bare, bare, bareback rivalist, our Liberty wow. trainer, was was ashen with fear that day. Just <laughs> she only, it, was, uh, it was just for a moment. But, but so Indiana, cool. yeah, and Indiana was bomb proof. I mean, he was one of those horses that he's just so experienced, but there was one day that we, through our insurance, we had cleared Mackenzie was going to ride bareback with and, and bridalist with just with, there was a very, very, very thin black rope around his neck. And she was, and we had built one very straight path and we were going to go side by side with our, with our vehicle that had, had the camera mounted. Basically it's like a, like an SUV with a crane on the side. Hmm. And we had rehearsed it. We had rehearsed it for safe path. The day that we were going to shoot it at perfect sunset, you have maybe 40 minutes to shoot a scene like that before the ball drops. And we did, uh, we did one pass with the, with the, with the stunt rider, who is this champion in South Africa, extremely talented Cheyenne. And at the very end of the track, Indiana jumped in invisible love and Cheyenne, who is, I mean, she's one of the most amazing riders I've ever seen in my life. She almost came off of them and nobody saw. And I feel like, if you were a different filmmaker and you really wanted that scene with the actor, you would have said, it's fine. Nobody saw it. We're just going to do it. I-, I saw that. And I thought, oh, as a horse person, if that happens with Mackenzie, that's a, that's a terrible accident waiting to happen. And is he probably going to do that again? No, but he was having a just really, he was really fresh that day. And we, we, and we called it off and it was, I mean, you should have seen the sunset. It would have been, and we ended up do, doing the scene in a different iteration about a week later. And, but it was one of those moments that the horse safety and the actor safety was so important. And I don't know how you don't, don't make those calls. So that was, you know, that level of being careful. And then the way that our Liberty trainer and our horse master, Cody Rossin Harris and, and our horse master was Elbrus. They, the way they worked with the horses was just, it was out of love and joy and care. And those horses would have done anything for them. And that comes back to the, the word I like to use, which is, you know, you have a responsibility when an animal mm-hmm. trusts you that much that you have to be ex- even more careful to make, to ensure their safety. Definitely. I'm not super familiar with the, the horse world within film. What was that process like to, you know, to work with or pick out the horses or, I mean, obviously I'm sure a lot of it was based on just you know, the pure fact of the location that you were in. But tell me a little bit about the community of horses with it, that you have had experience with for this movie. Sure. That was so much fun. I mean, to be able to pick out the horses that were going to play Black yeah. Beauty or, or Ginger or Merrylegs and getting the, 
because the the horse hunt started when I was still in Los Angeles. We had eight weeks of, of pre production, and and so I was starting to get photos of of the hero black beauties, and there was a breed of horse that I had never heard of before. It was. It, I think they were called flum horses and they're specific to, they, they have a lot of them in South Africa. Thoroughbreds actually are not very common down there except for the racing world. And, and, and I started getting photos of these horses and I said, you know, they're, and they, they look like draft crosses. They, they were not quite the, for the hero horse that played black beauty. I really, even though she's a wild horse, which are very beautiful, and obviously they come in different iterations and generally are a little bit smaller. I really wanted beauty to feel like she stood out and she's an iconic horse in literature. So I said, let's try to see if we could find a thoroughbred. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't, I didn't know at the time how many, how many duplicate horses we would need for the different stunts, because, you know, you write something on the page, you, even as a horse person, you're not sure if that's going to be, if you can actually execute that. Sure. But yeah. So when I started getting the photos, I then asked for a different breed. And then I asked, I asked for videos because I wanted to see their gates and I wanted to see their personalities and the flicker of spirit in their eyes and the two hero horses. And I would love to bring them over to the States one day were Jenny and spirit. And they were both mares off the track thoroughbreds that were trained in 10 weeks, Hmm. insanely fast, insanely fast off the track and then starring in the film and doing Liberty work and joining up with Mackenzie in a massive paddock. It was just extraordinary. And that again, just comes down to, there are different types of training out there and different types of ways that you can approach training for a film, especially when you have a timeline and you mm-hmm. need to do certain things. And, but it was, if, if the horses, if, if a horse didn't want to do a stunt on a certain day or something didn't go quite right. And this comes down again to being a horse person and an editor, we just, we, we always, it was always about either safety or comfortability for the horses. And we made some of those tough calls as I described, but being able to, to cast horses was just, I mean, gosh, how I felt so lucky mm-hmm. as, a, as a, as a lover of horses to be able to, you know, to pick and choose which ones would be in the film. Definitely. And then how did you, what was the process like in picking your actors? And then what was their experience in around horses or riding horses or yeah, what was that like? So that was, we were very, very fortunate on this film. We were so fortunate. It's especially with our schedule and how quickly we were working and the fact that the actors were working with horses, the authenticity of either the stunts or, or the actors being in a round pen, or I really wanted that love and that bond and that connection that to really come through on film. And so, and that happened with Kate Winslet was amazing as, as the voice of beauty and then Mackenzie and Ian Glenn were actually on set and interacting with the horses. So the casting process, as as a filmmaker, you don't usually get your first choices. Either it's somebody doesn't respond to a script, or it's budget, or it's timing, or someone's across the world shooting something and the dates don't work out. This was different, and it and it comes back to this this serendipitous nature of how all this ended up working out. But we went out to Mackenzie Foy first. As Joe, as the lead, we felt like it was really, really important before we approached the whomever would do the voiceover for Beauty to know who that who the actual who the lead girl was. And I, I was told at the time to put together a short list of twenty actors that could play Joe. And I remember saying to my manager at the time, I, "That's not possible. There aren't twenty young women that have quote unquote value in our industry at that age 
that are going to be correct for Joe. In the back of my mind, I, I thought we're going to have to go on a nationwide search for Joe. And I was rewatching. And so around these conversations, I was rewatching Interstellar with my husband, Ed, who's my producing partner. And Mackenzie was on screen playing young Jessica Chastain. And she was so powerful in that film. And I turned to Ed and I immediately emailed the main producer, Jeremy. And I said, Mackenzie is Joe. She's Joe. There's nobody else that is Joe. I really hope she says yes. And thankfully. (laughs) Because she's Joe. Because she's Joe. And and Jeremy was so, he, we we were always the same, on the same page with big creative things. And he said, absolutely. And, and I write a letter to everyone and any actor that we go out to, I write a letter about why I want them in the role. And then I met with Mackenzie and her mom, PJ at a little coffee shop in Los Angeles and we talked for two hours and she had ridden some in the Nutcracker, Disney's Nutcracker. And she loved horses. She loved, she's loved horses since she was a little girl. Wow. And she, yeah. And so thankfully she fell in love with the script and she signed on and she started, she started training months before we were technically in product in food production. And that was so, and we talked about it, that it was so important for her to build up that, that muscle memory and that comfortability. And she's such an athlete. She does, all sorts of things. I think she just, she said, I felt Taekwondo or something crazy. So very, very athletic. So she, she really put the work in and it shows on the film because she was able to do her own stunts. And it was so important in our coverage of scenes like on the beach, when she's putting up her arms, like she can fly. She mm-hmm. did that stunt. We did not have a stunt double doing, you know, that we, we didn't have a cut to her head and then a cut to the horse. That's sure, yeah. why we show them in, in the frame together. Cause she did it. And then with the actors, like we then went to Kate Winslet for the voiceover. And I had, when I got the call that she had signed on and said, yes, it just felt impossible because you get an Oscar when you're Mm -hmm. in your head and you think, goodness gracious, you know, it's a voiceover, which you'd be interested. And she fell in love with the screenplay and the flight of wild horses as well. Yeah. And then Ian Glenn, who was, I I consider them kind of this triangle of three leads he had ridden horses for 10 years in Game of Thrones, and he is one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. And he so badly wanted to do, just like Mackenzie, all of his own stunts. And he spent so much time with our Liberty trainer. I actually ended up rewriting some of the script based on studying our Liberty trainer, Cody Ross and Harris. Mm. And, and Ian adopted some of his mannerisms. And, and he there's a scene in the round pen with this little paint horse named Archie. And Archie had never done join up before. And I wanted to, I wanted to see if we could capture that on camera. And Ian was up for it. And we actually shot that scene on our hair and makeup test day because we had a small por- portion of the crew and we had the camera. <laughs> and other, otherwise, our schedule wouldn't have afforded spending two hours in a round pen with an actor and a horse that had never done that. And, mm-hmm. and, we, and he's, he's reciting his dialogue about um, horses are a mirror to your soul. And Archie is literally joining up with him as that's happening. Wow. Our, Cody, our Liberty trainer, just started crying. I spotted him behind a tree and our uh. relationship was so close after that because he said, that reminds me of the first time a horse joined up with me and mm. it happened. It was just spectacular. Oh, that is incredible. It's so cool because, I mean, I loved the movie already, but just hearing some background of it, it just, oh my gosh, it makes it all the more special. (laughs) Thank you. 
So cool. Well, is there any talk about doing anything else with Black Beauty? I mean, I feel like there needs to be a sequel. <laughs> I would love to do a sequel. I know Mackenzie has said, she actually said it in the press around our first press junket for beauty. She would love to do a sequel. And so I, I'm hopeful. And our numbers with Disney were good. So, mm. and I've been getting so many people, children and families reaching out to me personally. And I try to keep up with it as best I can, like on the weekends with Instagram and Facebook messages, but the way beauty has impacted children and families and just people that either needed healing or fell in love with the world of forces because they saw the film. What a magnificent thing to be able to put a piece of work out there into the universe and Mm -hmm. to impact people or to have kids suddenly want to ride horses because they saw this film that's just, I mean, I feel like we've done our jobs if that's if that's the case. So I would love to do a sequel. I have a story in my head about wild horses. I can't say much more, but I'm knocking on wood right now that's that, that we end up doing, doing a sequel. So cool. Talk about influence. That is just, that's so awesome and so exciting. Tell me, and I feel like I might already know the answer, about an area of the equestrian world, the horse world, that you are super passionate about, that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. Sure. It it was, my entire life feels changed by coming across this issue when I started writing the screenplay and that's the plight of the wild horses primarily in the Western U S and that's why we're out here in North Dakota and we're, we're traveling to Colorado tomorrow doing this documentary. It became so such an important issue to me after I learned about what wild horses are going through and these, these mass roundups that are occurring. It's a fight over land and special interests and, it's a, like I said earlier, it's a different conversation to go into the, so many of the nuances of it. But if you look at the black and white way that wild horses are being treated and being rounded up by low flying helicopters and torn away from their families and put into these massive holding facilities where we've been to them, we filmed them. Some of them don't even have shade. It's just, it's mm-hmm. cruel and it's mm-hmm. antiquated. And I was fortunate recently actually to meet one of the original writers from the Black Stallion who put together a short film when she was in film school back in the seventies and about wild horses. And she captured footage of some of the roundups at that time. And she was able to actually do an interview with wild horse Annie who raised a lot of awareness for wild horses back in the, in the 1970s. And she gave that, that writer filmmaker some footage that she had shot and to see the fact that things haven't changed very much you look at footage from the, from the seventies with helicopter roundups and the, the way wild horses are getting stampeded for miles or little foals that are only a few days old getting run to death. Hmm. That's just the, the level of cruelty in my opinion that, and not everyone will agree and everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I think that the level of cruelty is very black and white, whether you're on the side of cattlemen or you're on the side of wild horses or somewhere in between mm-hmm. uh, it just, we have to, if, if you treated dogs that way, or you treated mm-hmm. another animal where there's more awareness that way, it would be absolutely absurd in, in our, in a modern, in our modern time to be treating an animal with such disrespect and such cruelty is just astounding to me. So we, my husband and I knew that if Black Beauty did well, we didn't know at the time that Disney would acquire the film, which was just amazing. We just knew that we had a very unique platform to hopefully help with raising awareness for the issue. And so over the years of writing 
the screenplay and getting into production, we knew that we were going to launch our own nonprofit, which we did last year. We're almost at a year mark called the Wild Beauty Foundation. We've been doing rescues out of kill pens. We've been doing programs with kids. We just did this beautiful program with the kids at St. Jude. We introduced them to an adopted horse of ours who is battling melanoma, mm-hmm. introduced him to the kids in the hospital. And, and any creative way that we can bring the beautiful therapeutic world of horses to more people, and then to also creatively raise awareness for wild horses, not just by hammering a political side, but to me, it's always come back to kids. I, I want to, those horses of tomorrow are the ones that are going to protect our world. And, and those are the kids, those are the people that I really want to reach. Mm-hmm. And so that's become a big part of our lives and A hundred percent. For someone who is listening that would be interested in learning more about Wild Beauty Foundation, what's the best way that they can either get in touch with you or learn more about it? Sure. Our website is wildbeautyfoundation.org and we're on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter as well, but primarily Instagram and Facebook are, are the main outlets with photos and the videos that we're cutting. So you can follow along with our documentary journey, which will go for the next, hopefully the next couple of months as we continue raising some financing to keep shooting. But uh, yeah, wildbeautyfoundation.org or the traditional social media channels. Amazing. Oh, so cool. I love I, and keep posting as much as you can share on that because, <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I feel like whenever I have talked to you, you've been like, oh my gosh, we just got the best footage. We just got the best footage. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see it. Thank you. And I'm, it's so funny because some of the, you know, either my, my agents or people that know me well, I'm really hard on myself with everything. <laughs> and even my husband, if I'm writing a screenplay, sometimes I literally for pages, not physically, because obviously, you know, you write things on a laptop, but yeah. I have days where I'm like, I like, what I'm writing is terrible. This is awful. What am I doing? So to, to be, to feel the sense of, of true, very pure elation, knowing what we're capturing and knowing that, again, this, we could change our little corner of the world. If, if we do our jobs, right. I just feel like every, this, this whole thing has been guided in a very particular way. And that's, what's made it incredibly special. So I can't wait to show what, what we've captured for the world. Exactly. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and give me a little bit of insight to this area of your world and and our world as the equestrian industry. And I just wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me on and doing what you're doing. And I'm excited to keep bringing our world to more people. I think that that's very important. Horses have have a specific magic to them that more people need to be touched by. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.